Hello, folks. Welcome to edition four of the Washburn podcast, talking about the Boston Celtics and all things NBA. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Um, We're going to have some fun. We're going to talk a lot about the Celtics over the last week. A lot of things have happened to the team. Two-game winning streak after a three-game losing streak. Um, They're coming close to having a full team back. Um, Kimball Walker is expected to be back on Wednesday to join Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So for the first time this season, this week, they will have a full starting lineup, full complement of all-star players. And we can see um, what they have and exactly how they're going to fit in the Eastern Conference because now they'll be whole. Kimball Walker has returned. He's played pretty well. Has gotten better over the last couple of games. Took the Monday game against the Chicago Bulls off because of just to rest his knee um, because it was a back-to-back. And in that game, Jason Tatum returned from a 16-day absence from COVID-19. Thank God Jason is okay. Jason said he found out on uh, January 9th that he was positive. He said that night he started having some mild symptoms, sore throat, uh, you know, head cold, headaches, but then was able to get over it. But he said it was psychologically difficult. I mean, this is a an illness, a virus that has killed more than 400,000 Americans. It's very serious. I don't care what condition you're in when you catch it. Even if you're a superstar, finely tuned, well-conditioned athlete, um, and I think Jason understood this is very serious, and that messed, you know, that obviously affected him mentally and psychologically. He's got a young son, so this is a guy who thought about it and came back, and and I think this teaches you not to take the game for granted. Not that uh, Jason took the game for granted before, but I think he was just having fun out there Monday. He scored 24 points. He just looked in 31 minutes. He looked pretty normal to himself. Uh, and that's a good sign for the Celtics. He didn't look really rusty. He said in the first half that he, he'd have lost some wind. He didn't have his wind back quite uh, as he would. But in the second half, he was able to play through that. Uh, he played all the way up until the final moment, so a couple, like, couple minutes left in the fourth quarter. He had gotten to 31 minutes, and Brad Stevens uh, took him out of the game, and the Celtics were able to finish off a 119-103 win over the Bulls. Uh, it was good to see Tatum back if you're a Celtic fan, simply because obviously he's one of the team's best players, and he was able to flow better with Jason Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown still had a tremendous game. Uh, they're not taken away from each other, and I think that's the one thing that uh, Celtic fans could be thrilled about. Brown is averaging 27.3 points a game. Tatum 26.6. Um, Brown 5.8 rebounds, Tatum 6.8 rebounds, close to the same amount of assists, um, almost identical stats. Jalen has a little bit better of a player efficiency rating than Jason. And then you got Kimba, who's averaged 17 points in his four games, four assists, almost five assists, three rebounds, 2.3 steals. So he's playing some solid defense. And, a, you know, his player efficiency rating is almost the same, almost identical um, as Jason Tatum's. So if you're a Celtic fan, this is definitely 
a time to be excited because they're starting to put things together with their roster. They're finally getting healthy. Um, two, there's you know one player out, Romeo Langford, um, with a wrist. We don't know when he'll be back. Um, he's taking shots before the game, but he's probably another month or so back, as I would estimate. And then Peyton Pritchard, who strained his knee last week against the Philadelphia 76ers, he could be back when the Celtics are on the West Coast on that five-game West Coast road trip. So I think that was good news for the organization. It looked like it could be a pretty serious knee injury. Um, Jalen Brown lost balance, and, and as, as a lot of these knee injuries happen, it's friendly fire, bodies flying everywhere. Um, so Pritchard got hit in the back of the knee uh, by Brown, bent the knee back, but it was only a sprained MCL. So if you're a Celtic fan, you got to be excited that it wasn't a more serious injury and, and relieved more than excited. And now he can come back and kind of jump into the fray. But one development, a couple of developments uh, over the last couple of weeks and week or so is the Celtics bench. And against the Bulls, OK, Brad Stevens knows that he's going to have to tr- the bench. There's been a lot of uh, issues with the bench. Let's be honest. Jeff Teague has been um, very inconsistent, has not been able to score from the two-point range. He's pretty decent from the three-point range, but from the two-point range, he just isn't cutting it. He's shooting 33% for the season and 43.5 from three. So, honestly, you'd rather have him take a three than a two. That's not good. But, you know, and some of the players off the bench are young. Carson Edwards, his second year. Uh, Peyton Pritchard's been the best um, player off the bench so far. He's a rookie, but he, he obviously just got hurt. Um, and a, another guy, Aaron Neesmith. Aaron Neesmith just looked like a, a deer in headlights his first couple of uh, weeks as a Celtic. He was picking up a lot of fouls defensively. He was uh, not shooting the three ball that well. And you kind of wondered what role he would have this season because when you looked at the draft, Neesmith was supposed to be the player who was kind of ready to contribute immediately. He was already a pretty polished shooter, and the Celtics desperately needed perimeter shooting, especially from the bench. So you thought, okay, Neesmith is going to be that guy that can come in and knock down uh, some three-pointers in a pinch because, you know, he's going to get open if Brown and Tatum and Kimber are on the floor. He's going to be able to get that open shot. He just needs to knock it down. It was not like that in the first couple of weeks of the season. Neesmith just looked lost defensively. He was out of position in several situations. He got some rookie calls where he was just picking up fouls. Um, you know, he just struggled, quite honestly, as a rookie, as some NBA rookies do. But over the last couple of games, Neesmith has been serviceable, more than serviceable. In the Bulls game, he hit a couple of three-pointers, and that's a good sign because he's going to get open, and he's he's a he can be a weapon if that shot is going down. And Brad Stevens said this after the Bulls game. He said, listen, he's going to give some of these guys a chance to show what they can do because they don't practice much. This is not a normal NBA season. There's not a lot of shoot-arounds, not a lot of practices, so it's hard to see what an Aaron Neesmith or Carson Edwards or Javante Green have with limited practice time. So he's going to give these guys a chance to uh, prove it 
or not prove it with some game action. And both Carson Edwards and Aaron Neesmith proved it against the Bulls. Edwards is a guy who, when he came into the league, he was a prolific scorer at Purdue. I think because of his size, there was the Isaiah Thomas comparisons. And it just seemed like this rookie year, Edwards didn't play with any confidence. He wasn't able to knock down open shots. They were Other teams were targeting him defensively because of his size. He just wasn't able to catch on. And he spent some time in the G League. You know, he did okay there. But you kind of entered this season saying, okay, is Carson Edwards an NBA player? Is Can he contribute to an NBA team? Or might he need to go overseas? Might he need to go uh, to back to the G League or somewhere to get his confidence up, to get, you know, the reps? And so maybe he can contribute. And so he got off to another slow start this year. But for whatever reason, Stevens has used him over the last couple of games, and Carson Edwards has delivered. Um, let's look at some of Carson's recent games. He had 12 points, sorry, 18 points against the Cavaliers, and he came back for six points um, against the Bulls and just and had a, had a, had a three ball and a foul. So if I'm the Celtics, Brad Stevens is starting to trust him more. He's starting to put him in situations where it's like, listen, Carson, this is your time. Um, you've got to perform because you need to prove yourself. The Celtics can make many roster moves if they want to. There's guys out there, as we mentioned, the aforementioned Isaiah Thomas. Um, we've mentioned, you know, there's a Jamal Crawford. There's guys out there looking for NBA jobs. NBA jobs are valuable. This is COVID. Guys want to play. Teams are being very, very particular with their rosters. So guys, you know, Carson Edwards' is, is spot in, you know, the NBA is valuable. So if you're Edwards, you've got to perform. You've got to perform, and you've got to get it done out there, and that's what he did. And then the same with Neesmith. Both those guys, Neesmith's in a little, situa- a little different situation. He's a rookie, so the patience is, is going to be there for him. But Edwards, I think it's, it's good for those who have, have wanted the guy to succeed to see him flourish in situations and just act like he knows what he's doing out there and, and blend in because – I mean, that's what they need. They don't need Carson Edwards to score 18, 20 points off the bench. They need him to be a reliable shooter, play defense, get a steal or two, and just blend in and play like an NBA player. And that's what he's done over the last couple of games. And I think that's a good sign if you're a Celtics fan and you're hoping that Carson and you're a Carson Edwards fan, maybe, you know, you watched him flourish at Purdue. So I think if you're the Celtics, uh, the bench is starting to play better, and that's extremely encouraging. Extremely encouraging because what you want is you want to be able to give guys like Tatum and Brown a break, and you don't want to have too much slippage. I mean, this is a this is the Celtics are a team that, that you know you've got guys like Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice, Robert Williams. They've got players who can play, but they just need to perform, especially when you're competing against teams with major lineups like the Brooklyn Nets, like the Milwaukee Bucks. Your bench has to perform. And so if I'm the Celtics, 
I was very, very glad to see, if I'm a Celtic fan, I'm very glad to see uh, guys like Edwards and guys like Neesmith perform. And the question is, what happens now? Like what going forward? I think it's going to be interesting over the next few days, games, excuse me, to see how the Celtics kind of figure things out when you have Brown, Tatum, and Walker in the, in the lineup together. Because that's how it's going to start. Um, maybe Wednesday against the Spurs, if not Saturday against the Los Angeles Lakers, and obviously one of those Saturday night nationally televised big games. The fans will be looking forward to that. Uh, LeBron and the guys and AD come to town at TD Garden, even though it'll be empty and no fans, it'll still be a very interesting game. And then the Celtics go out on that five-game East, sorry, West Coast road trip, Golden State, Sacramento, Clippers, uh, Phoenix, and Utah, and that will be a good test too because there's no gimme games on that trip. Back to back with Golden State and Sacramento, and then you've got the Clippers. Obviously, another tough game, and then you have Phoenix and Utah, two very tough teams, especially at home. So that's going to be a good test for the Celtics. So I think if you're Walker and they're coming back at the perfect time because they need to find out and figure out who they are as a roster. Okay, and we need to figure out if you're a Celtic faithful and an organization needs to figure out who is going to fit well together. How about this starting lineup? Can you play Trishan Thompson and Daniel Tice together? Is that ever going to work? Do you bring Thompson off the bench? Do you bring Tice off the bench? Let's talk about those two, okay? Tice has played remarkably well offensively of late. I mean, th this is something that, uh, to me, has been one of the bigger surprises is that Tice is, is balling in terms of just his offense. I mean, you really, you really, um, you know, don't expect much offense out of Tice except maybe a dunk off the pick and roll, maybe a short jumper here and there. But Tice is looking very, very comfortable offensively. And that's a good sign for the Celtics. Thompson, on the other hand, is doing what he's supposed to do. Now, the question that people are going to ask is, well, can he get better offensively? That's a good question. I mean, he's not a great finisher. He hasn't been a great finisher in the last couple of years at the rim. You know, he is a solid, you know, solid defender, but sometimes oversized, overmatched in terms of like when he's playing guys like Embiid, but really who isn't overmatched or sorry, in terms of size when they're playing against Embiid. But if you're looking at, um, if you're looking at like who should start, Thompson just gets the rebounds. Thompson you know, it's just Thompson is, is, is just doing what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to give this team more chances to score, give this team more possessions. OK, so as, as he's doing, he's leading the team in rebounding against the Bulls. He didn't take his, he was did not attempt a shot. Sorry, no points, 10 rebounds, one assist in 17 minutes. If he's going to give you 10 rebounds in 17 minutes. That's all you're asking from Tristan Thompson. You're not asking him to score 20, 15, 20 points, okay? Against his former team, the Cavs, 22 minutes, 12 boards. Against the Sixers, 26 minutes, 5 boards. 
He had 10 fouls in the two games against Philadelphia. He just had trouble with Embiid. I think that was a good indication to see, okay, how does Tristan Thompson fare against Joel Embiid? Because we really, uh, unless you watch the Cavs and the Sixers play over the last couple of years, no one really knew, okay, how is Thompson going to fare against Embiid? Obviously, it did not go all that well because Embiid had two monster games and he used the Celtics to win conference uh, player of the week. So it did not go all that well for Tristan in that sense. But look at, like, Thompson's got, let's see here, 36 rebounds in the last four games in limited minutes. The most minutes he's played in the last four games is 26 minutes. That's good stuff. That's what you want. You don't necessarily need Tristan to have big-time offensive numbers. What you want him to do is to score and be more efficient around the rim. He's shooting 46.1% from the field this year. That's not good because he's not a perimeter player. So all of his shots are layups, hooks, etc. So what uh, Tristan needs to do is finish better. You know, but he's putting up the same numbers, 62.5% from the line. That's his, that's his career, nearest career average. Um, he's taking, he's taking nearly, he's taking four and a half fewer shots than he did last year in Cleveland. And Cleveland, obviously a bad team. Trisha got a lot more opportunities last year offensively. So his, his scoring average is in half, but that's mainly because he's playing, he's shooting about half to half as much as he did last year in Cleveland. So if you're looking for offensive numbers, that's not a good barometer to judge. But Tristan, you're looking at rebounding and rebounding per minutes. He's going to give you extra chances. You know, he's averaging 2.6 offensive rebounds per game. He averaged four uh, last year in Cleveland. So that could be better. Um, A few years ago in Cleveland, he averaged 2.4. He averaged four rebound, offensive rebounds per game in 18, 19, and 19, 20. So he slipped in that. So I think that can improve. But for his minutes, he's playing only, he's averaging 22.7 minutes per game. So he's playing less than half the game. He hasn't played that few. He played that fewer in, uh, in 17, 18. But he's usually, a, last year he played 30 minutes a game. And, that, and he put up 12 and 10. Okay, so in 23 minutes a game, he's putting up six and nine. Not bad. You'll take that from Tristan Thompson. In terms of Daniel Tice, Tice has been, as as I've said, very good offensively because Tice is a guy who you can see the offense improving. He's becoming a better shooter. It's just confidence. You know, and and sometimes he'll tend to rush a shot. Um, Sometimes he'll tend to maybe take a not-so-good uh, shot, maybe a, a, a three that might be like, okay, uh, not a good three-pointer, even though he's open. You don't always have to take every open three. But look at the last four games and, and for Tice. 19 points in the win over Chicago, 17 points in the win over Cleveland. He had a seven-point outing against the Sixers, and 23 in the first game against the Sixers. That's good numbers. You'll take that from Daniel. You'll take that from Daniel Tice. You'll take, you know, 12, 10 to 12 points from Daniel Tice. That's what you want from him. Okay. 
I mean, against the Sixers last week, he was 10 of 11 from the field. The reason He only took three shots the next game against Philadelphia. He was two for three. He scored seven. Eight for 12. He's, he's shooting 71% from the field in January. That's that's ridiculous. That's that's awesome for if you're Daniel Tice. That's awesome for the Celtics. 47.1% from the three-point line. Now, the most threes he's taken in one game is four. Okay, you don't need Tice taking six, seven threes. But if he goes one for two, two for three, two for four, that's good. That's what you need, right? Rebounding has not been necessarily all all the way all the way what you'd want. But this was a definitely an interesting game for Tice against the Bulls. 19 points, three rebounds, three assists, three blocks, three steals. I mean, a stat, as my man Clark Kellogg says, a stat sheet stuffer, just doing all the little things. And if you can get that kind of production out of Thompson and Tice, you can go far, I believe. Because at this point, you're not going to acquire another big-time center, okay? Like, you can use that trade exemption. We've got to we got to look at Andre Drummond, and Andre Drummond is putting up the numbers. But do you really want Andre Drummond? And I'm not saying Andre Drummond's a, a target for the Celtics or whatever. But a, a, a guy like that, a guy who thinks he can do a lot more than he probably really can, but he puts up numbers. But as with Drummond throughout his career, the question is: Are his numbers empty? Is he putting up meaningless numbers in games that don't mean a whole lot? And and to me, I think that's what he's doing this year. Another guy like that that I saw against the uh, Celtics on Monday was Zach Levine. Zach Levine averaging 28 a game, but are they meaningful points? Is what you're doing, the points you're putting on the board, is that contributing to your team winning games? James Harden's been accused of that, but the Houston did win a lot of games during this time with the Rockets. But Levine, I just watched Levine closely Monday, and it just seemed like he was just determined to get his 30. I'm good. I got my 30. I'm my, you know, I'm a, I'm a be an all-star candidate. I'm, I'm one of the top 10 scorers in the league. I'm good. Winning, well, we, we don't have enough you know, good players, but hey, I'm going to get my 30. You don't want guys just filling out the stats just to do that. You want meaningful scoring numbers, meaningful rebounds, meaningful assists. And I think Tice, I mean, he has, I think, been a a tremendous uplift player over the last few weeks. And I haven't always been the biggest Tice fan in terms of his offense. I think he tries really hard. I think... Unfortunately for him, he does not get breaks from the officiating, but I also think he does put himself in bad positions a lot and gets early fouls. Uh, let's be honest. He picked up two quick ones on Monday against the Bulls. It's, and I, I want to say in the first minute. I mean, it's totally so predictable. It's like foul on Tice. I mean, he does not get breaks from the officials, but I'm not going to always put it on the official officiating. I'm going to say Tice needs to be a little bit smarter out there and more cognizant of where he is on the floor, that he's not going to get calls against some of the league's more established centers, and he needs to be a little bit more savvy out there in terms of his, of his play and staying out of foul trouble. Now, if you look at the last week, Two good wins after two tough losses to Philadelphia. 
The Sixers are a good team, but it was just too much Joel Embiid. And remember, it was no Jason Tatum in that game, in those two games. So I don't want to go too harsh on the judgment um, of those two Philadelphia losses, but the defense was not good. The defense has to be better. You can't let Joel Embiid go off. You can't lift, leave Seth Curry open for threes. Um, you even have to guard guys like Danny Green. You know, Danny's not the most consistent guy like he used to be, but they just gave up too many just easy points. You can't let Ben Simmons just get to the rim because that's pretty much all he can do offensively. So the Celtics were not focused defensively in those two Philadelphia games, and they were exposed. Disappointing losses, but I think educational losses. I think they played better in the second game. They did the first and they also, I think, were a little bit too frustrated by him beating the first game. The second game, they just let go of the rope in the fourth quarter. Too many, you know, just allowing a huge Philadelphia fourth quarter to pull away. Like They've got to be better than that. They've got to be better in the second half. They've got to be better, especially in the third quarter, has always been a bugaboo for them. So I think they can definitely learn from those two losses to Philadelphia. And they're going to learn a lot more Saturday against the Lakers with LeBron and AD coming in because the Lakers are another deep team. And as we speak with an undefeated road record, they're going to want to take the Celtics out. The Celtics have to figure out what to do in terms of their roster. Are they good with their current roster as it aligns? Now, I'm not incorporating the uh, uh, trade exception yet because that will be something down the road. But, like, I'm talking about – are they good with the guys on their team now? Do they need to make another minor move? Do they need to bring in a JaVale McGee? I'm just throwing that name out there, which is, uh, I think he makes $4.6 million. The Celtics have a $4.7 million trade exception from the Intis Cantor deal with Portland. So who knows if Cleveland's interested in moving him, but do they need that? Do they need four bigs in their team? Because what do you do with Robert Williams? But as I explained earlier in the last week or so, I think the Celtics' bigs have been pretty decent. And Robert Williams just needs to come back because he's losing minutes to Tice and to Thompson. If Robert Williams, it's time for him to make an, a, a bigger impact also. I mean, I think that he has a chance to make an impact. He gets his minutes, and he's not been bad. I'm not going to criticize Robert Williams for not, you know, for not something he didn't do, but I just think he needs to be more assertive and make more of an impact. Um, and I think this is a key year for Robert. The Celtics have got to figure out what they have in Big Rob. You know, um, the other night against the Bulls, 10, point, 10 minutes, no points, four rebounds, a block. Um, against the Cavs the night before, 9.6 rebounds. He played 15 minutes. You know, so he did okay in, in, in the two games against Philadelphia. He combined for eight rebounds, 10 points, you know, uh, two blocks. Not eye-popping numbers. He played total 31 minutes. I'm sorry, he did not play. He did not play. Um, I'm sorry, I made a mistake there. He just played one game in Philly, 2.4 rebounds, 16 minutes. I'm counting the Miami game because he was out with COVID. So let's give Robert a chance to uh, come back and to – uh, get completely comfortable after having COVID and just getting back into game shape. But I think this time it's time for him to make an impact. So 
for the Celtics, they have uh, some interesting things to go going on over the next few weeks. Just that big West Coast road trip, getting a full roster. They're going to get Peyton Pritchard back. We'll see what happens with Romeo Langford and when he comes back, can he get some minutes? But they want the guys they have to play well. And I think what Brad Stevens has done, and I applaud Brad Stevens, is finding roles where guys can um, contribute. A guy like Javante Green is a perfect example. He's been known as a, just a high flyer. Yeah, he can get up. He can throw the ball down, but he can also defend. He had a key three-pointer last night. The Bulls cut uh, the deficit to nine points after trailing it by as many as 22. Uh, they needed a stop, and here's Javante with a three. Uh, now, Javante's not a great three-point shooter, but it was a clutch shot. He is becoming more serviceable on the floor, just like Edwards and just like Neesmith, and he's, and he's ahead of those two guys. I mean, this is exactly what they wanted out of Javante Green, a Tony Allen type of player, a staunch defender who can race to the rim, who can make plays, who can do things uh, athletically, use that prowess, uh, get a defensive stop, get a steal, dive on the floor for a loose ball, and he's taking advantage of his minutes. I'm... I think he's been one of the more pleasant surprises this year with the Celtics because I didn't expect much out of Javante. I, last year, he kind of occupied a roster spot. It was just like, okay, they can maybe cut him. Um, remember, if you remember last year in training camp, the Celtics had signed Max Struess to a two-way deal, the three-point shooter out of DePaul, who I think now is with the Miami Heat. He went to the Bulls last year, and then he went to the, now he's on the Heat's roster and Javante basically outplayed him in summer league and in training camp and earned, and got that roster spot. So if you're the Celtics, you know, you wanted to see progress from Javante, and that's what they've gotten. I think that that's been one of the, as I said, one of the pleasant surprises. Jimmy Ojale has played well, especially offensively coming off the bench. So some of these young guys are starting to contribute. Now, do I think the Celtics could use another veteran coming off the bench? Of course I do. I think veterans coming off the bench, guys who know how to play the game, is exactly what these types of teams need. The Celtics don't really have that savvy veteran. I can include Jeff Teague in that, but Teague is just not getting it done offensively. He's got a 10.06 player efficiency rating. He's not making shots from two. Now, is that because he's 32 going on 33 and this and father time is kicking in? Is it because he's just not quite himself? You know, I think as, as I'm going to agree with Brad in this situation, you want to give some guys some time. This is a strange season. You don't want to be too quickly judgmental off the first. And the Celtics have played now. They're 10 and 6. There's 16 games. You can't judge Teague off 16 games and be like, He's a he's a bust. Um, now, if this lasts another sixteen or lasts deep into the mid mid season, now would be thirty six games of a seventy two game season. And if he and if this goes on throughout, you know, into deep into the halfway point, then I think you can start making some judgments. And I think there will still be guys out there who could be other options, like an Isaiah Thomas. I wrote earlier that they might want to consider signing Isaiah Thomas just to get that bench strength. But with Carson Edwards playing better, they're getting uh, production out of Neesmith. I think that was before the whole Peyton Pritchard sensation 
Um, now it might not it might not be the greatest fit to sign Isaiah, but Teak's got to he's got to play better. I mean that's just the bottom line. He's got to come in, fill up the stat sheet. You're not putting him in the game for his defense. You're not putting him in the game to to distribute assists. He's averaging uh, 2.4 assists in 18.9 minutes. That's not bad. Um, averaging 6.4 points per game, but as I said, just not shooting well from two. The, the Those floaters, those little short jumpers that he used to hit in Atlanta and Indiana and Minnesota just aren't going down. So is it just the luck of the draw? Shots just aren't going down? Or is it that he's just not good enough anymore? I think we'll find that out over the next few weeks. Um, another player who is kind of taking a step back is Grant Williams. Grant hit a, 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 a big, another big three uh, in Monday's win over Chicago, but Grant is losing his minutes. He, did, he, he entered the game in the second half um, on Monday and didn't enter the game till late against Philadelphia. Like He is having his minutes taken away by Neesmith, by Ojale, like – uh, you know, I like Grant, and Grant's a solid player, a great guy, um, a team guy. I mean, you can't, you know, but his his numbers, if you look at his minutes, okay, um, let's start from January 1st. Let's start. 20, 19 minutes, 24, 28, 23, 24, and that loss to the Knicks. Then suddenly 16, 11, 12, and 10. So he is losing minutes. One, he's not shooting the ball well. Let's look at his January, look at his numbers. 41% from the field in January. He's 44% from three because he's, he's able to hit the three. He's done well. He, he was two for three against the Bulls, one for one against Philly. Um, he's improved, but he's got to be better. He, he's committing far too many fouls. Um, and, and some of the fouls are just kind of clumsy mistakes, running into guys, uh, being too physical, being too rough out there. Grant's got to be a little bit play with a little bit more finesse. I'm not talking about not play physical, but not get up, not be, you know, get two, three fouls in the first eight, nine minutes that he's playing. He takes himself out of the game. And as you can see, Brad Stevens does not do a lot of talking to the media about this guy isn't playing well or this guy's not playing well. It, it, he does his talking in minutes. And the fact that in a blowout win over the Cavaliers, Grant played just 12 minutes, I think says a lot. He played 11 against the Sixers and 16 against the Sixers. And that was, it just seemed like after that Knicks game, Brad decided to make a couple of changes in the rotation and Grant has suffered. He played 10 minutes against the Bulls and didn't appear until the second half. So if you're, Grant Williams, you got to pick up your level of play because the other guys around you are. Ojale picking up his level of play. Neesmith now may become an option. Guys off the bench are playing well. And with Tice and Thompson starting to pick it up, and then you got Robert Williams, Grant becomes like the fourth big. And that means that he's not going to get a lot of minutes. So not to be too hard on Grant, you know, I, he's a he's a good player. He he's got skills. He can do some things out there. But he's a role player. And he, but he's a guy who needs to play well. The thing about the Celtics is, as Brad Stevens has stressed, and I do agree with him on this too, 
Their margin of error is, is slim. They don't have, they can't, they're not going to out-talent you besides their top three guys every night. They're, Brooklyn can win on talent. They, you know, KD and Kyrie and Harden can play bad for the first three quarters and then score combined for 50 in the fourth and win the game. You know, other teams have more talent. The Celtics are going to have to rely on teamwork and just guys doing their job. That's the most important thing, guys doing their job. And that was, if you're a Celtic fan, encouraging over the last couple of games to see Carson Edwards do his job, Aaron Neesmith do his job. You know, Neesmith's a guy who can have a real role in this team because he's a shooter. They need shooters. They need guys to come off the bench and shoot threes. If you saw the Chicago game, a guy like Otto Porter, who is not the greatest player in the world, but he hit four threes off the bench. That's the kind of production that the Celtics need from their bench, not every night, but on occasion. A guy who can come off the bench and get hot from three. Because you need to score easy points, and you need to take pressure off Tatum Brown and Kimba Walker. And we'll see how, how this all is going to turn out, because we're getting close to seeing Tatum, Brown, and Walker in the lineup together for the first time since they played in the bubble. Walker looks like he's healthy and nimble. Tatum is making his, uh, his return from COVID. Brown has just been the steady force this year. Uh, uh, Dark Horse MVP candidate, definitely um, going to make that all-star team if this continues. I don't think that's even a question. And uh, a top 6-7 score. So the, the, there's good things coming for the Celtics. There's some good things coming ahead, but also some interesting games. The Spurs, the Lakers, and then that West Coast road trip. And so things will not get easy for the Celtics, but these two last two games have shown that they can play well, they can score, and they can defend. So let's see what happens in the future. Let's see what happens when Kimba Walker comes back, and let's see what happens with a full and healthy squad because they should be getting Peyton Pritchard back over the next 10 days. So folks, that's, just, that's it for edition four of the Washburn Files. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later this week. You guys have a great sports week. Look forward to all the games and the Super Bowl previews and the hype with Tom Brady against Patrick Mahomes. That should be fun. So look forward and, and take in all that, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>